I don't want to talk about things we've gone through, though it's hurting me. Now it's history. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side for the Film Stage. My name is Dan Mecca, and here we talk about Kate Blanchett's, not the Kate Blanchett's that made them famous or kept them famous, but the Kate Blanchett's they made in between. <laughs> Wait, that is wrong. I'm confusing our podcast with our lovely guest, amazing podcast. Today, we have Murtada El Fadl joining us. Welcome, sir. How are you? Hello, guys. So excited to get on your podcast and talk to you about Meryl. Yeah. Meryl. So, so that's our bait and switch. So, so, so Murtada runs and hosts Sundays with Kate, which is an amazing podcast that you can, we encourage you to listen to. That's all about Kate Blanchett and all of her work. Um, and he's also a freelance writer. You can find his work all over the internet. Um, but the bait and switch, of course, is we are talking about Meryl Streep today. We actually have an episode we did uh, on Kate Blanchett early on um, with Gavin Mevius and Karen Kemmerly. And I know you know Gavin and Louie, obviously, because you yeah. have been on the mixed reviews. And um, what were the movies we talked about? We talked about The Missing. We talked about um, Robin Cushington. Hood. We talked about Robin Hood. And I think there was one more we talked about. So we talked about, obviously, her, you know, some of her lesser known movies um but anyway and th and those are two movies i haven't talked about yet on my podcast and the thing is you guys do the b side and when you have a podcast about one actor you do their a sides but mostly are right. talking about their b's and c's yeah it's true <laughs> it's 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 funny because it's like i so I'll I'll admit I've listened to a lot of your episodes, but I haven't listened to a lot recently because I'm behind on Mrs. America. And so I've been kind of waiting. And I don't know, I mentioned this and and I think in a recent one of our episodes, but I'm afraid to listen to the Aviator episode because it's like one of my favorite movies ever. I love the Aviator. So part of me's like, oh, if I, I don't want them to be mean about the Aviator, if I don't know if you are or not, but I I'll listen to it. I will listen to it this weekend, <laughs> yeah. I promise. We are a little mean about the aviator, um, it's, but we I get are it, I very get it. complimentary about Kate in the aviator. Sure, as you should be. Yeah, as you should be, of course. <laughs> which, which we are not. Like the the podcast is about Kate Blanchett, and obviously done in admiration of Kate Blanchett. But we're not always complimentary about all her movies. But the right, aviator, right. we're complimentary about the performance for sure. Yeah, it's a crazy performance. And let me, before we get too far, as always, we have Connor O'Donnell uh, with us as well. Connor, how are you doing? How, how What's the most recent Kate Blanchett movie you've seen, Connor? Uh, the most recent Kate Blanchett movie I've seen, as in like recently released, or what have I watched? No, just with like her? Uh, you know, in, what have in I quarantine or, or whatever. Yeah, what have I watched with her in it most recently? Um, I did actually, and Murtada, you just did an episode on it. I did, I didn't watch all of it, but I did kind of revisit parts of Hannah uh, because we just did our episode on Saoirse Ronan. Um, right. And Kate, I like Kate in that. She's fun. Yeah. Yeah. She's really fun. She does these villains a lot. And yeah. Actually, we did... Um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, sort of, we asked people, our listeners, to oh, like. I, rank. I voted in it, buddy. I voted. In yeah. It. <laughs> to rank so did I. So villains. did I. So did I. Yeah, yeah. So Cinderella, the wicked stepmother, and of course Hela in Thor 
have won. We have an episode on Thor too. So Thor, Hannah, Indiana Jones. I was pulling for Arena Spalco personally. <laughs> I I really like her in Indiana Jones four. Um, yeah, controversial controversial uh, performance, no doubt for sure. Yes. Um, very yeah. big performance. Yes, very big performance. indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, so. Before we get, so Meryl Streep is our topic for today. And I will say, just because I want to get this um, at the beginning so we don't get too far into the episode, the four movies we are going to focus on, her four, Meryl's four B-sides. And let me just say, Meryl's got a lot of B-sides. And I think it's yeah. funny because it's a little weird because one thing, and we were, we were uh, messaging about this between the three of us. Me and Connor have a kind of a loose rule, which is like if they were nominated for an Oscar, it's kind of not a B-side, which Meryl, I will say, really <laughs> tests. She really tests that theory because yeah. she's been nominated 21 times. Right, Connor? You said 21 yeah. times. I believe. Yeah, I she, believe that's correct. Yes. Yeah. 21. She's, she's won, uh, you know, uh, three. Uh, I think it's three yeah, right? I believe times. She, yeah. And um, and. And there are a lot of those nominations are B-sides, I would argue. Like I like we talked about like we were gonna maybe do Ironweed, right? Which she got nominated for, but like who remembers yeah, Ironweed? Do you guys do you guys want the list real quick? Yeah, give us the list. Do you want to just bang Run out it, real quick? I'm gonna start out, with the most out. recent. So she got nominated for the post. She's basically it's crazy. She's like basically gotten nominated with like, you know, two to three year breaks, right? So but like yeah. being like it it's not like she got nominated like 21 times it's like been very consistent so like we're probably yeah. on the verge of like another Merrill nomination in the next you know what i mean like it's I mean, how long is her career her first nomination was in 79 so yeah that's like relatively what, 40 rel- years yeah. 21 that's every other it's, year it's crazy it's like, crazy I, it's statistically crazy. speaking if you were to use the oscars as your metric some people like to some people don't but if you wanted to I mean, like she's a she's maybe the greatest to, to ever do it, right? Like I like by well, that by that me- measure, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, nobody's ever ca- is ever gonna catch up with her, right? I mean, not in our lifetime. I sure. don't think it's it's kind of it's it's yeah. crazy. But basically, so you have 2018, right? You have the post, right? Then 2017, Florence Foster Jenkins, 2015, Into the Woods. Remember that right. fucking nomination? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, then uh, before that, August Osage County, Iron Lady, which she won for. Right. Julie and Julia, Doubt, The Devil Wears Doubt. Prada, uh, which was kind of that was sort of like a little bit of a comeback because she did add ad- she got nominated for adaptation in 03. Um, but as we'll talk about, I'm sure there was like a period of time where, you know, she was hot and then kind of late nineties, late nineties are a weird period, yeah. which will, one of our movies is in the late nineties. Yeah. So, and then, so, and then before adaptation, it was music of the heart. One true thing, Oof. right. Which I would argue tests those waters a little bit. Right. I feel like, do you know what I mean? Like both of them. Yeah. Both of yeah. Them. Uh, bridges of Madison County postcards great. from the edge. Uh, evil- those two are great. Those, those are great, great nominations. Evil Angels, I've which I've I don't know what that movie is. Does anybody here which know one? what Evil Angels is? That's the the Dingo Ate My Baby. That's, that's oh, the, oh, that's yeah. the name no, of that no, no, movie. No, 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 no. It's two. There's two titles. So, um, the American title is A Cry in the Dark. Oh, yes. okay. That, yeah. So yeah. that's the the Fred Shapishi movie where she's the Dingo Ate My Baby. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, on IMDb, it's called Evil Angels. Evil Angels. Yeah. Okay, I think I, bet, I think sense. it was released. 
in Australia, maybe as Evil, Evil Angels. Angels. Right. It's a, one of those movies. And then before um, that was Ironweed, which, you know, before we did this and when we were talking to you, Murtada, we had kind of tossed that up because we felt like that tested the waters a little bit because it's sort of yeah. like a not a movie people necessarily think about. Um, and then out of Africa before that, Silkwood before that, Sophie's Choice, she won right. for right before yep, that right right, uh, right french lieutenant's woman before that and then kramer versus right. kramer uh was her first win and then before that was the deer was julia right and Did so she just, not she didn't get nominated for julia i don't believe so i don't oh, know interesting i don't interesting, see it on here okay. she may have gotten like a let, let's no look at, yeah yeah you know no, 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 no. julia she it's a very small part it's I a mean, small she makes role. An impact but yeah not no, enough a small for a nomination but so 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 all those movies and yeah, if you don't know a few of them, we would not blame you. That's kind of the point. Yeah. But we are we 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 stayed steadfast to our pseudo rule, and we <laughs> our four movies today. We decided to go, and we've done this for other actors and actresses. We decided to kind of go decade decade by decade. So we did. We have the seduction of Joe Tynan from 1979. We have falling in love from 1984. We have before and after from 1996 and finally we have the movie prime from 2005 which let me just say prime is like if you looked up the uh, what is a b-side you're like what <laughs> what is it you would find yeah. the the brian greenberg film prime i i think i've mentioned this on the podcast one of my first movies i ever worked on as a pa was a brian greenberg starring movie <laughs> Swear to God, we filmed it in Queens at uh, uh, abandoned psych ward, uh, and it was a sh- ultimately straight to VOD movie with like Brian Greenberg and Reggie Cathy was in it. If you remember him, he passed away recently. Great actor, um, and a bunch of other kind of actors like that. And he was a super nice guy, like really super great guy, and um, and everything. What but did he's we really what did we talk one of those with, weird guys? What did we talk about with him in uh, Perfect Score? He's in. He's, he's we, in Perfect Score. We covered we on did our that Avengers. For the Avengers. Yeah. yeah, he's in Perfect Score. And he's in um, his big, he's in How to Make It in America, which was right. the two season HBO show from the makers of Entourage, you know, like, you know, whatever. I watched that show. I'll admit which, it when I was younger. Which I liked we'll, it. We'll talk about this more when we get to Prime, but. Yeah, I got some Entourage vibes from that movie in terms of like his character, well, just the vibe of his character. Entourage well, was Meryl. <laughs> yeah, and also his best friend John Abrams, dude. Yeah. That anyway. Um. All right. So I want to okay. say something. So Please. I've watched all these nominated movies. The twenty-one movies she was nominated. Oh my god! Good for you. I've watched. I've seen them all. And Is I've that your next two... podcast? <laughs> yeah. Street streeping with Murtada. Like, so. Yeah, I mean, it will certainly be longer than Sundays with Kate because he has made so many more movies. I'm sure, yeah. But I haven't seen two of the movies you guys chosen before I saw them just to talk to you. So now I think I'm more of a Meryl Completist than I saw. What were the two you hadn't seen? Just by curious. Uh, Joe Tynan and Before and After. Oh, God. Has anyone... No. I will say this. Had anyone seen Before and After no. before we watched this movie? No. It's like before... Before and, and after, after before, and after, before, before and after, as the um, movie as the movie tells you like three times. There's oh, before. Yeah. Oh, does it? Does and it then ever? After. Um, yeah. right, I love so, Connor's message where he was like, "Well, that was a movie," and I was like, "Is it?" Like I, I know it has dialogue. And, well, you know, right. It's like it just wouldn't. It was a, like I don't know how else to describe it other than like it was a movie. Like I, like, I it got made. 
I said to Connor uh, in some one of our many chats, I was like, we need, and we'll get to it. When we talk about before and after, we need to spend a solid 10 minutes discussing the power of book adaptations in the 90s, like Oprah Winfrey Book Club. Yep movie adaptations like this before and after is such a movie like that where you're like in 1996 a studio was like let's do it hot book from 1992 <laughs> gotta make it it is so crazy to think about it's such a different time um so okay let's we'll start with the seduction of joe tynan and as we kind of go into it um we always kind of like to get a sense of i mean meryl's one of these people she's kind of everybody knows her so it's just kind of a silly question but um, what was our first exposure to Meryl in our lives? And I was trying to think of this, uh, before we started recording, I honestly don't know what was like the first Meryl street movie I ever saw. I really would, it would be hard for me to remember. I, I will just say that at an early age, I probably too early. I did see Kramer versus Kramer. And I remember that met like messing me up. Cause I was like, Whoa, like, what is this? Because, you know, I was young and it is a great movie in so many ways. Um, but I will say, and I'll throw to you guys, a knock on Meryl, which I think is interesting and we can talk about, is people say that Meryl is a great actress, but she's one of these people where she's actually not in that many great films, mm. which I think is an interesting. I don't know if I agree with it because I would say Kramer v. Kramer is a great film and Deer Hunter is a very good film. And right, you could kind of. There are, I think, examples you could. I mean, throw the late seventies and early eighties, she's unmatchable. I mean, yeah. until we get to I and Weed, between the Deal <laughs> yeah, Hunter yeah. and I and Weed, that's amazing right. time for her. And then she comes back. You know, she yeah. has some good movies since then. Yeah, exactly. I just think it's funny, you know, like where you go, like if you make your favorite films list or whatever, right? Like it's funny how a lot of, and this is just to the point of what we're talking about. A lot of these movies are maybe not as memorable, you know, but like, for example, I'll give you a, 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 a for example, death becomes her, mm. which is not a movie we're talking about. She didn't get nominated for. I love, love, love. Yeah. Love, but it's right? like, so it's like, kinda, you know, it's like a classic. It's, you know, you know yeah. well, but that's my point. So yeah. that's kind of goes against to, to a degree kind of, uh, of that argument. But anyway, throwing it to Murtada, what would you have? Do you remember what your first Meryl was? Do you have any recollection of like the first I, time you saw Meryl? I don't. I think Meryl has just always been there. She's <laughs> exactly. always been yeah. the biggest movie star. Yeah. You know, she's always been the best actress. Right. Uh, as far as I can remember. I can't really remember. Um, like, you know, when I first started getting into movies, the movie that, and this is a late movie for her, so I must have known her before that because I was like, um, it was The Hours. Um, right, that was right. like the first movie I sort of like, wow, Meryl is amazing. And um, But that was 2002. I must right. have seen a lot before that. But, you right, know, but that's, I a, good, that's like, a good one, though. Yeah. To loving movies in the late 90s. So I guess that was around that time. But I've, you know, I've went back, obviously, and seen everything. I have seen Falling in Love as a kid. Okay. And so you were the one that you I actually rec it. recommended it. We should say, so this, uh, you know, part of the reason we're doing this episode, we sort of reached out to you listeners on the internet and asked you kind of, since we just crossed our, our 50th episode threshold, what do you want us to see us, you know, us to tackle next? And, uh, and Meryl was like the big winner by a mile. So, and, and you were the one who brought up falling with falling in love. And so I just kind of immediately said it down. I was like, Oh, we got to get Murtada on. Um, 
So thank you for recommending it. It was definitely, I'm glad we we tucked in here because it is like the definition of a B-side, like two heavyweight actors yeah. in a movie with like an innocuous nothing title that doesn't like, there's buy, just- buy, buy a good director, a guy, and we'll talk about yeah. him. He didn't, he, he didn't make a lot of movies, but like a very accomplished theater director who- every actor loved working with yeah so yeah but all those things combined and yet in you know no no memory of it really yeah and you saw it as a kid yeah i saw it as a kid and i don't know why but it always made an impact on me so i've always had it in my mind oh yeah i love that movie and it wasn't meryl i was sort of just in love with robert de niro in that movie and that's why i remember it like hottie hottie if like if and this, I'm I might be like semi stealing this uh, from uh, David Sims, the Blank Check podcast. They mentioned on their Heat episode, I believe that like that might be like peak hot Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I don't know. He's super handsome in this movie. Very, very handsome. handsome. So, so hot. Makes and you know, we're handsome. not we're not there yet. But I remember there is a scene in it where he asks Harvey Keitel while looking in the mirror. He's like, "Am I handsome?" And I was just like, like shut yelling up, at my screen. You're <laughs> handsome. You're hot. You're everything, Bob. Yeah. Bob. Yeah. Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. Um, but. That said, um, that's funny. So you saw it as a kid and it just kind of stuck with you. That's funny. What about I, you, Connor? I feel what like, about you? I feel like mine was so there were there were two actors that were what in like what I would call like the blockbuster video rotation in my household growing up. There we go. And one what like that if there was just a, a movie on the shelf, a blockbuster with that actor in it, it wound up in the VCR at some point. And one was Kevin Bacon. My oh, family wow. love my family love Kevin Bacon, and the other was Meryl Streep. So of course, obviously, at some point, the River Wild went through that VCR. More oh than right, once. of course. So of course. I feel like I I was pretty young at the time. So I feel like that or you Death know what Be- Death Becomes Her was probably yeah the river the River Wild is death. You know what? The River Wild is definitely my first Meryl. right cause because like, I, it, it timed out. I feel like at that time, you know. Because yeah, my mom Julie Mecca loved the River Wild. Which, yeah, that's- if you know, we mention her a lot on the podcast. She's been on the podcast. Um, it makes perfect sense if you heard her. Yeah. Uh, the River Wild is like Julie. Julie Mecca. Like if, Julie Mecca looks at that poster and sees herself mom. in it. Like that is the river. That is the River Wild. It's probably the most Meryl. Also, it's probably the most Meryl ever looked like my mom. Or that's vice kind versa. of yeah, that's kind of what I mean. Also, like it's it's. It's an interesting yeah. thing. The very funny. Um, so that's one Meryl movie I have yet to see. The real oh, wild. I guess buddy. I need to get on that, dude. Yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it's so much it's, fun. It's yeah, Meryl's Meryl's action heroine. It's pretty, yeah, pretty cool. It's, it's a lot of fun. Bacon's doing like '90s bacon villainry type stuff. It's great. Um, that I think was my earliest exposure. I kind of like Murtada said though. I feel like it wasn't because you you know you. Even if you're introduced to some stuff, you know, like I remember She Devil was on Comedy Central like a ton. Right, She Devil. Right. Of so like even if you're introduced to some of that stuff, uh at a certain point, she kind of just becomes this ubiquitous thing, right? Like as a as a performer where you're just sort of like, Yeah, Meryl, greatest actress who's ever lived, right? And you don't yeah. really stop to think about it. And I wanna say the first time that I ever, and it was when I was older. That I like sat down, watched a movie, she was in it, and I was like, God, she is fucking unstoppable. Yeah. Is um is defending your life? 
Oh, I, great movie. oh wow, yeah. I love her so much in great that movie. movie. Like it, she's just so charming and I think it's because you have this at least for me with that movie, you have this image in your head of this person maybe before you really dive into them as a performer of I feel like I probably had this image in my head of like acting and like just like very intense, like, you know, Oscar type stuff. Right. And to see her in that movie, I just she's just so nice and charming and wonderful. And uh, it feels so effortless for her in that film, too. And so right. I, I think that, that's also why I love the hours, because the hours sure. is basically she's playing somebody maybe closest to her life, you know, right, like, right, right. a New York intellectual, socioeconomically well off. It's just basically Meryl. And she's so easy in that, where in a lot of her performances, and I love all of them, you know, she has a wig or an accent or a mm -hmm. tick or whatever. And yeah. she's somebody who acts like with, you know, a big yeah. A, yeah. Um, which I love. I love actors who act. I, I don't want subtle. Give me acting. Sure. Um, but sometimes when she does those roles, like Defending Your Life or The Hours, and she's just, to your point, so effortless, it's just another side of her. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think Defending Your Life is a great example. Let me let me set the stage a little bit here. So Meryl Streep, uh, born 1949. She's about to be 71, which is crazy because um, she looks great. Um, she's from Summit, New Jersey, which is kind of interesting. Our buddy Tim is right from there. We filmed a short film at the Summit Diner yep. in New Jersey, which is funny, just as a coincidence. Um, so as Murtada mentioned, her late seventies to early eighties is kind of a runaway, like just uh murder's row of movies. Um, you probably know this. If you're listening, she dated John Cazale, um, uh, when they were both young and making movies, obviously, uh, John Cazale died at a very young age, very sad. Um, and his last movie is the deer hunter, which she is also in. Um, now, interestingly enough, the movie that she made right after his death, when she was very despondent and dealing with it, was our first movie, The Seduction of Joe Tynan, directed by Jerry Schatzberg and written by the film's star, Joe Tynan himself, Alan Alda. Um, and Meryl Streep, and you can read this on Wikipedia, mentioned that she was kind of on autopilot during the making of the movie and that Alda helped her through it greatly. Um, okay, so The Seduction of Joe Tynan. 1979, um, produced by Marty Bregman, who you know is a great producer, uh, many, many years. Wasn't a flop, you know, made 20 million at the time. I think, it, you know, for, I would imagine what it cost. I'm sure it did okay. This is Alan Alda in MASH mode, right? He's a TV star who had been in stuff, other movies like Paper Lion 10 years before. So he'd been around, but of course now is primarily, you know, Hawkeye on TV uh, and, you know, the biggest show, the biggest show ever, right? I mean, at the time and even still, right? One of the biggest shows ever, MASH. So he could get a lot of stuff made. And this is kind of the beginning of Alda making a bunch of shit because he had a lot of power. He ends up directing a lot of movies, not a lot of movies, but he directs a bunch of movies in a row, stuff like The Four Seasons. And um, I think right before the season, same time next year, which is a big hit. Uh, anyway, this movie is the Joe Biden story, right? We kind of were talking yeah, about this. It, this it, felt, it felt weird while, I felt weird while I was watching it in a way that kind of frankly made me really enjoy watching the movie. Like there is yeah. like a... Uh, a prescience sort of an unfortunate maybe prescience to the movie 
um, that you're just watching and you're like, oh yeah, like the whoa, well, like, it, well, and 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 Murtada, you can uh, jump in here, but what me and Connor were texting about was, and you know, agree or disagree with this, obviously. Uh, a thing that we found so Joe Tynan in this movie is a liberal senator. He's a New York liberal senator, mm-hmm. and he's you know got ambitions for higher office, what have you. He's young, he's hot, right? He's like the cool guy, and the yeah. whole movie is about there is this Supreme Court appointment, and the guy it's a Republican administration, and the guy that is been nominated or is going to be nominated is a racist i mean he is a racist right yes and and the the crux of the movie is people within washington being like well he's not that racist literally like there are scenes where they're like (laughs) i mean he okay he doesn't support integration but you know he's he's like a strama thurman and and there's the there's like like the constant thing where it's like oh well he said that thing out of context and it's like man no he didn't like he just, yeah, this right. is how he feels. But, yeah, like. but but so the Joe Tynan of it all is essentially right. The movie's opinion, and we said the script's written by Alda, right? The movie's opinion of Joe Tynan is is interesting because he his his aide he gets connected to in basically um, working with essentially a lobby to uh, not get this racist guy nominated to the Supreme Court. Uh, this aide is played by Meryl Streep, right? Who mm-hmm. plays this woman, Karen Trainer, and he ultimately begins an affair with her. Uh, he's married to Barbara Harris, who plays Ellie Tynan, right? Okay, so, so you that's guys all think Joe Tynan is Joe Biden, or is the well, Supreme yeah, yeah, Court yeah. nominee well, so, Joe Biden? Well, <laughs> I I think there there are just some similarities, but I think what's interesting is the movie's opinion of Joe Tynan is that he's basically a good guy, right? They're like, yeah, you know, Joe, you yeah. know, he's got an affair, but he's trying his best. And what it, me and Connor were saying, what's so funny <laughs> is, I guess it's important to remember the context of this movie. This comes out 79, Watergate's happened five years earlier. Nixon's resigned like a, f- a few years earlier at this point. People hate the government, right? This is a very mm-hmm. famous time. Jimmy Carter basically gets elected because he's nice, right? Like that, that basically is what happens. So this is very much a political movie made in the time of Jimmy Carter by the most likable TV star in the world. And yet, and yet Joe mm-hmm. Tynan in 2020 is kind of a piece of shit, right? Like right. he he's kind of, he's kind of this pseudo liberal cheats on his wife, makes her feel bad about it, right? Like, isn't ever home. Yeah. You know, which under, okay, fine. He's a Senator or what have you, but is very kind of ignorant willfully ignorant about his responsibilities. And it's funny how the movie, and I read a few reviews, including the New York times reviews and the people and the reactions to the movie was kind of like, well, you know, Joe Tynan's doing his best. And it was, it was a little surprising. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think? Um, or Todd, what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, the movie's definitely on his side, that he's a good guy, and at no time does it present him as anything but great. Yeah. Um, and his moral dilemma, I, I felt that the politics of the film were very simplistic. It was very black and white. Yeah. Like, there was no muddiness That's to it. That's the kind of crazy even, thing about it. Yeah. yeah, like, why would you want to make a movie where it was so clear-cut what he's going to do? And there is no conflict at all. He immediately decides to, you know, choose the right side and just do a crusade and even... And even if you wanted to do it about the marriage, I think the most interesting part 
in that movie, I think, was the part played by Barbara Harris. Oh, yeah. She's great. Because she was somebody who had a a dilemma. Yeah. You know, she was somebody who doesn't really want to be a politician's wife. And she's willing to talk about mental mental health. And, you know, this is something that is frowned upon. So she had a real dilemma where Joe Tynan and I think Meryl's character is Catherine. Yeah, Karen. They're both married. They head into this affair. But it's just like there is no stakes, you know. Nobody's it, getting divorced. It's also Nobody's weird. really that much in love. Yeah, yeah. and it's weird yeah. that you don't, and maybe I'm missing this, you don't ever meet uh, Karen's husband, right? Well, you do at the party, right? Or no, is that it's a very guy? briefly. That's a, just a... Very briefly. There's a, there's a scene of them in the house. Oh, right. Wherever yeah. it is right. they I, live. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. You know, yeah, Murtada's right. Sorry, yeah. I got it confused. I, but They're in but the it, house for one scene, and he and he says like... They have like a very cold marriage is what yeah. you're meant to get out of that scene. Yeah. And then yeah. the scene, the scene I mentioned, you're right. I was wrong. He, she's with, well, cause basically she is like a mover and a shaker in Washington. Right. Right. And Joe Tynan in, in working with her on essentially a good cause. Right. But right. the way they go about it is a little clandestine, I suppose. It's meant to be like he's kind of selling out, I suppose, is kind of what the movie's. But it's like he's at. selling out only on the terms that the movie dictates, which is that he is buddies with this other senator from Louisiana. Right, Melvin Douglas, right? Yeah. Who, well, and funny thing, Melvin Douglas, just I want to point this out. Melvin Douglas is also in The Candidate from oh, the early 70s, which is the Michael Ritchie movie with Robert Redford. Yeah. Which is, which is a, is, has also not aged great, but is a way more biting, like it's a satire at all. This isn't a satire mm-hmm. really at all. But yeah, I mean, this is yeah, I mean nothing. But that's a satire. <laughs> and and it's funny that that comes out right before Watergate, right? Where then Watergate happens and it becomes just like almost kind of the answer to a question almost. But But if he's selling out or like backstabbing his friend, played by Melvin Douglas, he's doing it for the greater good. Because right. he's doing that to to not support the racist candidate. So yeah. then it becomes like there is no moral ambiguity yeah. at all. And even if he is backstabbing his friend or whatever, it's just like he's doing the right thing. So right. that's that was my disconnect it, with the movie. I'm like, what is going on here? What are we supposed to take from this? Sure, sure. And it's it's interesting because the you know, like you again to Dan's point, like in 2020, I found personally, I basically liked this movie, but I like I sort of like this movie in spite of itself because I enjoyed watching this movie in the context of like 2020 politics and like right, thinking right. about it that way. Like I in my mind watching this movie, Joe Tynan is a bad guy and the movie was interesting in that regard. Right. Well, the, the problem think, obviously is that the movie's yeah. intentions don't necessarily depict him that way, obviously. So I sort of think this movie is is probably better than it is. But it um the way it let like sort of lays out the power structures involved in their affair as well just was to me very mm. like oh like but in like a very like interesting let's talk about it let's use it as an example kind of way um yeah. But I don't think but you're obviously giving the, the movie a lot more than it, is there. Exactly. No, right? no, a thousand percent. Like I'm watching it through my own lens. So like, yeah, there's that. But like the scene in which they have their initial sort of like flirtation, they have this kind of exchange where they they sort of clear the air a little bit on their attraction to one another. 
And it's interesting to watch. Like it's not an un- uninteresting scene. It's fascinating because there's to your point, Murtada, there like I think I am watching it through this lens that the movie does not really give a shit about. Yeah, and I think I think I'll say this. So just a couple of things. Jerry Schatzberg, who we mentioned, good director, came out strong. Puzzle of a Downfall Child, The Panic in Needle Park, and Scarecrow, all within basically four years. Um, Scarecrow's Pacino and Hackman, high recommend uh, for that. Panic in Needle Park is uh, Pacino's first movie. Really interesting movie. Puzzle of a Downfall Child is early Faye Dunaway. So a really good actor's director, um, Ulo Grosbard, who did Falling in Love, also a great actor's director. We'll talk about him in a minute. And then the seduction of Joe Tynan is kind of a a weirdly down the middle movie for Schatzberg to do, but then the rest of his career kind of, there were more movies like that. So I think he's kind of like a lot of those directors from the seventies, you know, maybe taking a job and kind of doing the job to just keep working, which is, is fine, but just pointing that out. I would not be surprised if Meryl's role got cut down a bit, Mm. given what she was going through. And also given the way the movie structured, she's in a lot of it, but it's, but it's, fairly limited for how much her character's meant to mean mm-hmm. um the accent she does a southern accent it's fine um it's a, it's a relatively like you know it's a relatively i think for this will be the most kind of innocuous of the of the four Meryl performances i'm sure we'll talk about and then just to kind of loop back for me the biden connection is simply this when you think about watergate and then this movie coming out right i think what i mean in terms of the parallels is the bar is so low, right? The bar is so low for American politics at the time of the release of this movie that if you read Janet Maslin's New York Times review or what have you, there is this warmness to Joe Tynan that suggests this low bar where it's like, you know what, man, like he's trying and there's like, there is an honesty to him kind of, right? Like, which that's basically like uh, the movie's opinion. And I think what's interesting in the, in real life is like with Biden right now, it's like kind of on a, on a larger macro scale, he's obviously got plenty of flaws. You know, he's got plenty of history and plenty of flaws, but I do think for the large part, a lot of people are like, look, man, I don't know. He's the nominee. It's so bad. We're just gonna, we're gonna do what we can. Right. And it's funny how like, you know, at the end, uh, you know, he gives a speech. I guess I won't spoil exactly what, what it is, but it's, this is not really a spoiler-heavy movie. But he's giving a speech. It's kind of the climax of the movie, the final scene. And everybody's like, we want Joe. And I was just like, this is too much yeah. for me right now. This is, And, like, where does everybody – I guess he goes on late-night TV in the movie, so you're meant to think he's got this growing kind of love for him. Yeah. But it's very – it, it is a messy – for as straightforward as it is, Martata, which you were saying, and it is, it is weirdly, and I don't know, maybe it is Meryl scenes got kind of, you know, maybe truncated or whatever, but like, it's a little, it's a little slapdash for all, yeah. for, for how straightforward it is. Yeah. I mean, and if we're talking about Meryl, like this is the kind of part she doesn't usually play. She's the sure. ingenue here, basically. Yeah. She's yeah, the younger, exactly. pretty it's girl. Just, I mean, she's good at it. I will say objectively. Yeah. Very charming in this movie, right? Like, no, yeah, she's and like totally looks charming. beautiful, like you know, like so in that regard, it, it, for this kind of role, totally works. I want to mention a couple of scenes. So the scene that you were talking about, Connor, which yep. is the first time where they 
talk to each other about their how attractive they are to each other. I thought that was the most interesting scene in the yeah. whole movie because the way they sort of come about it is like, oh, let's acknowledge this thing that we're supposed to keep a secret. I would love to work with you when you make your move. I think we would knock them right on their fannies. <sighs> you really like to win, don't you? When I want something, I go get it. Just like you. What are you smiling at? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, what do you think you're smiling at? Well, I, I think that... Um, Something may be happening here that we didn't expect. What do you think? I was hoping we were going to have the brains not to mention it. Well, we don't have to do anything about it. I, I just don't think there's any harm in being honest, you know. I mean, I don't think you have any idea how many times I've thought of you since, since New Orleans. Yeah, I do. You know, I have a husband. I'm not suggesting anything. However, I do notice that I, I want this Anderson thing to go on forever. I think I'm infatuated with you. You remind me of John F. Kennedy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I never heard that one before. And it's flirty, it's fun, but you also think that maybe they're going to talk about the power dynamics between them. I mean, he's yeah. basically kind of her boss, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, kind of, with, kind of, yeah. Kind of, like in an indirect way. Yeah. But their affair never becomes as interesting as that scene as it progresses. Right. Never. Yeah, and um, I mean, but I think there, to your point, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Barbara Harris, rightly so. I think she's the best part of this movie. I know totally. we're here to talk Absolutely. about Meryl, but I think she, Barbara Harris crushes this movie. Um, every scene she's in, she's great. They do a really good job. I would say other than the scene you just mentioned, the most interesting this movie gets are the scenes between Barbara Harris and Alan Alda. They feel real mm -hmm. to me. I, so I would compliment the movie on that, that regard, even Alda just as a screenwriter, like whatever made it to the page and then the screen, it, that feels like a real marriage to me. Like, cause mm -hmm. you can, you can tell it's interesting because when you get to a point where he has the affair and then has to sort of, as Dan mentioned, he sort of like blames her for it. That whole part of it's fucked up, but it is one of those things. I will say when he, when he like does the thing that a shitty dude in that position would do where he's like, I love you. Right. I will say the movie does show you that like they do feel like a loving married couple at least for like the majority mm -hmm. of when you see yeah. them in the movie i think i mean the movie shows them at the beginning their first scene together is them having sex which is yeah no and it but it, and it feels like cute and real yeah and, and their chemistry yeah. is really good but she barbara harris does a really really great job this is also the best movie uh, of the four with a gumbo interlude Oh my God! Rip torn, uh, obviously. Rip torn, rip torn. Rip torn going full, going full rip and torn, and torn. in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, may he rest. I will obviously. actually. I will say. I will say. Uh, another scene that felt like it belonged in another movie was the scene at the party where Rip Torn is just hitting on every woman, and his wife is drunk, talking to Joe Tyne, yeah. and laughing at her husband. That was. I 
it, a great like a funny scene. no it's a good scene. yeah and then I, there is a dance interlude like, yeah yes, it's yes, so yes. bizarre that's that's in, now i feel like you can at least tie that scene in because it's this like it's this glimpse into and i don't know if the movie specifies this he's a he's a senator correct right yes yes, yes. new york so, senator or you like, mean rip trip torn is a senator yeah yeah and yeah. but so is tynan right they're both yeah yes, yeah yes, okay yes, yes. so the I got the sense that like this was like, you know, right maybe halfway through his first term as a senator, right? Like, yeah, first, like, first term. Re- yeah. Like he and Barbara Harris are basically relatively new to this whole life. So the one thing I did dig about that scene is like him having to like get a glimpse at like what Washington political married life it, it, like the future of, of what that is, right? Right. Like so, yeah. Because there's a whole thing where Barbara Harris and the family, there's a son and a daughter. They might move to D.C., right? Because they still live in New York. And obviously, to your point, the rip torn moment is like, if they move to D.C. and he keeps on philandering, that'll be what it'll look like. Yeah, you know? ex- yeah exactly. So like right, rip torn right, comes right. in, obviously, to your point, in the most rip torn fashion. He's a straight up caricature. Yeah. And it's just it's bananas, though, because like there's this fucking like, I mean, maybe it's only two minutes, but it feels like five like gumbo. It's long. It's long. (laughs) It's like really long. It's like this gumbo competition interlude with like straight up Dukes of Hazzard music. Um, Yeah. Where they're like, but like what's weird is like to no end. It's not it's yeah. not like it's well, not it like Rip Torn with, is like if yeah. I lose in this competition, I'll vote on this thing with you or whatever. Well, it, it, well, they they set stakes uh, it, like where it's like the stakes are roughly like if I win, you'll support or, or not go yeah. out of your way to disrupt the nomination. But then, of course, Rip Torn just throws up and then Melvin Douglas comes in and is like. Wait, you're not. You're gonna go right. against this so anyway. It, it it's means, very funny. It's yeah. so bizarre. It means nothing. It's I. I'm be so curious to just as a screenwriter to know what was going through Alan Alda's head when he wrote that scene. But I think he was just writing a scene for his friend Rip Torn. Yeah, yeah I mean, no, that's that. Yeah, that's an. But like, yeah, I guess that's, that's the thing. The scene at the the scene was. at the party where Rip Torn's just like talking about all the women and stuff. That felt way more in step. The gumbo thing. I'm just like, okay, like I. Now, and we gained nothing from it except no. seeing Rip Torn eat gumbo. It, right, <laughs> right. Like, like I mean, narratively, you know, it added nothing. You, you right. listener, can go and you know try and find this scene somewhere. It's definitely got like high memeability. Uh, I just oh quickly, like, kept thinking about that watching it. Like it's just the the reactions of Alda and Torn going back and forth, uh, just shoving gumbo in their faces. It's. Uh, it's a thing. I want to mention one other scene for Meryl. I think Meryl's best scene mm. is a very silent. It's a silent scene where there is a political dinner and she is sort of forced to meet and to meet Barbara Harris. Yeah. And oh, she doesn't yeah. want to. She's with her dad and they're meeting the people who are sitting in the table with Alan Alda and Barbara Harris. And she's forced to meet Barbara Harris. And both of them played so well. Like, Meryl yeah. is so awkward in that scene. And, and Harris not- knows immediately. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, that's a good scene. That's the thing. I think uh, I think all of that stuff, I would say maybe, like, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, it, it, it prob- this probably isn't a great movie, but I just feel like all of those little... Mo- it, it's got a lot of little things like that that are enjoyable to watch. It's also not long. It's very short. Right. So that kind of like 100 minutes. Yeah, yeah. that, that kind of helps. 
But um, I, I think, like I said, for me, it was more the the fun of watching this movie in the context of current politics and the cyclical nature of that kind of stuff uh, was sort of fascinating to me. So I I would give this movie a recommend, I think, on that. On that I don't know. It's funny. I, I'll be honest. On my letterbox, and, and this is crazy, I know. All four of these movies, I just gave I gave three stars because it's funny. It's like I I think I tend to rate uh, I I um, I grade up. Like if 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 it's kind of two and a half stars, but I like stuff about it, I'll give it three. Right? Like I yeah. tend to do that. So, but I have a clear I think number one. But let's I'll I'll segue us out of Seduction of Joe Tynan. I just um, want to say one. Say thing. one. Go ahead, please. If you're listening to this podcast because you love Meryl, this is a recommend for Meryl fans too. Yes. Because right. It's not a big part, but it is sort of a unique part in her filmography. This is very early in her career. She's right. playing the romantic lead. She's funny. It's basically if you just take her scenes. For most of the movie, it's a romantic comedy. She's falling in love with Alan Alda, and yeah. they're in bed and playing with beer, and it's funny. And it is yeah, a I register. Agree. She doesn't play with a lot in her filmography. So for a, for Meryl fans, it's a definite recommend. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think also just for film fans, and 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 I mentioned this before. It's it is. I think it's interesting to explore the time when Alan Alda was a big movie star because it's like. Which is b- bizarre, <laughs> a little bit. Well, it's bizarre, but then if you think about it, it wasn't at the time. So you have this, and then, like I mentioned, his next three movies, which is like the 80s, basically, is The Four Seasons, Sweet Liberty, and A New Life, which he writes and directs all of them. And the only huge hit of those three is The Four Seasons, which also stars Carol Burnett, right? So, you know, he has mixed results uh, in that respect, but... It's just interesting. And then obviously in 89, he's in Crimes and Misdemeanors, which is uh, the Woody Allen movie. So it's just it's funny because he's someone now that you see in movies from the 90s. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, which is funny to think about. And obviously, funny enough, speaking of the aviator, Aviator, his one Academy Award nomination was uh, for the Aviator uh, because he plays the senator from Maine. Yeah, Senator Owen Brewster. He's very good. He's good in that movie. Um, So moving on to our next Meryl movie five years later, uh, starring her Deer Hunter co-star Robert De Niro, directed by Ulu Grosbard, as I mentioned, is a movie called Falling in Love, filmed basically on the train that me and Connor took <laughs> our whole lives to go down to New York City, the Metro North, the the Hudson Line yeah. Metro North, because it stops at Dobbs Ferry. It stops at like I was watching that movie. I think I like texted you or maybe Jordan. I was like. This is my life. Yeah. They're just on the Metro yeah. North. I yeah. lived on this train line. And it's essentially um so I can if I don't know if one of you guys wants to talk about what falling in love is about. It's I mean, pretty I think core. Murtada, you gotta take it, right? You this yeah, was yeah, a recommend sure. from you. Right? Take it. I'll yeah. take so falling in love, I think, is basically about what if you meet the person, your person or your soulmate when you're both married. So it's about these two married um, people, a man and a woman, Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep, they meet on the Metro North and they basically fall in love, but they are both racked with guilt about the fact that they're married to other people. He has kids. She just lost her daughter that they never consummate um, their affair. 
And then it becomes about that. And, you know, what do you do when you fall in love with somebody, but you're already with someone else? And um, it is like we talked earlier, peak Robert De Niro, the best he, he's ever looked. Yeah, he, he looks they, amazing in this film. Yeah, I think that's something that actually kind of helps this movie a lot is like they both look great. So it's yes. just it's like just one of those like purely aesthetic movie star things of just that that you know one of the more basic things about uh about the power of movie making is just the wish fulfillment of seeing two beautiful people get together right like yeah and and i think um i think that helps a lot i think it's also the so the well, what's funny actually is like this is a movie that got, uh, at least in my, you know, in my limited uh, research, this is a movie that got kind of passed around as a screenplay uh, mm -hmm. quite a bit before it wound up getting made. And part of what ultimately got it made was that Streep and De Niro were basically just looking for a vehicle to do a movie together again, right? Because they yeah. were in Deer Hunter, mm -hmm. they're in uh, Marvin's Room, which is after this though. Yeah. Um, but mid 90s yeah those are the only times they've collaborated and so this was just them looking for something and the i i think they would even regard it as a b-side like there's oh, uh, for sure. one little tidbit <laughs> i found where meryl streep was showing this to her kids and they were asking her out how, how it was going to end and like she just admitted she couldn't remember kind of thing. yeah and right right and it is funny because it in the in the process of getting passed around, coincidentally, one of the people who was almost going to direct it was Alan Alda. Oh wow! Yeah, interesting. If you look at it from Meryl's career, like this this movie is the two movies she did right before it were Sophie's Choice and Silk Watch, two huge movies yeah, in her career, for sure. Oscar nominations. Yeah. And the movie she did right after it was Out of Africa, which was her biggest commercial hit of the eighties. That movie was. It made so much money. It was yeah. a huge movie in 1985. So remember, remember that? Like, remember when a movie like Out of Africa could <laughs> well, just like well, look, crush? Look, like, I, so let me just say something about Out of Africa because I know that Out of Africa is one has become one of those Best Picture winners that people, uh, you know, retroactively go, "Why did that win? That movie's not great. What have you?" And I get it, but I will say, Sidney Pollack basically tried to make Casablanca right in a, this different way, in this different context, this different social turmoil, what have you. And I don't love everything about that movie, obviously, but there are moments with Redford and Streep that are truly great. And I think Pollock yeah. is one of those directors who I think kind of almost sometimes gets too much credit and then not enough credit. And I think out of Africa is a great example of like, he had a lot of range, but yeah, it's an interesting, to, to your guys' point, this, to me, falling in love is like, it's equivalent to um, Ryan, Go Ryan Gosling making Crazy Stupid Love, where he would say in interviews, his therapist was like, you've made all these depressing movies in a row, you should make Crazy <laughs> Stupid Love, because you're, you're depressed right now, right? He said yeah. that in like, late night interviews. And I think falling in love, she made it with her friend Bob, right? And her friend Harvey was like also there, or Bob's friend Harvey was also there. And it kind of feels like that, right? It's got this yeah. Dave, it's got this Dave Gruson score, which oh, that was God, the first thing Connor, Connor, first thing Connor texted me about Connor's like, dude, Gruson's so on the score. Dan and I, I'm here for it. Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you know 
we are avowed Tom Cruise fans, so of course we love The Firm, and one of the things we love most love about The Firm is the fucking crazy awesome Dave Grusin score. So it was yeah. just this weird thing. Part of the reason I said that to you, Dan, was because when it started, I was like, oh, this is a little zinger, like when the score started. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, it was Dave Grusin, and I was like, ah! I love this well, movie let me tell already. You it's I, great. I love, I love, I love contributing to conjecture that has no basis in fact on this podcast. I guarantee you a studio note when they, cause this is a very, like Machado said, this is a very straightforward movie to the point of like, I can understand people being like, like, like you said, Meryl Connor Merrill was like, I forget the ending. You could certainly, I mean, this is a, a B side in its forgettability. It's very down the middle. And potentially, I don't want to say boring because I enjoy the movie, but I would understand someone saying, I felt mm. this was a little boring. I guarantee you somebody at what Paramount or whatever this was. Yeah. Paramount? yeah, Paramount. Somebody at Paramount was like, can we get Dave Grusin so to just spice up the score he, a little bit? Like he, so that there's a little bit of excitement yeah, he in there. Pulled, he you pulled certainly the, can't miss the score. Oh, he, no. It's and it, and I, oh, it's, yeah, it's like a, it's like a third character. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I kind I just love the score cause it just, it feels so of a time. It feels very specific to love, these kinds like of movies. Falling in love with the music. Yeah. Am I right? The Grusin apparently took the, the theme, which actually I will put a little bit of right here. heard it and now your life is totally changed obviously <laughs> um but he i guess pulled that from another piece he had written i believe called mountain dance um but said that and the sort of adapted it into this and said that this version was sort of like the cleanest that song had ever been or or whatnot but um either way i mean i i kind of just i i i was really enamored with this movie and mertada i'm so glad that you recommended it because i you know the uh this podcast and we've said it before but like this show can be a mixed bag for us where sometimes we just stumble onto b-sides they're like duds and it's just like oof okay like why are we watching these like well like we for for example we did when we did adam sandler yeah. right with our buddy with our buddy jordan Raup. This should, this is not a surprise, of course, but we, by the end of that episode, were like, this was a rough one because it was yeah. like, mm. you know, they just weren't funny movies. Like, you know what I mean? And I, comedy has that latitude, of course, where it's like, you're just like, this wasn't fun. Like watching these yeah. movies just wasn't that fun. But I do think Falling in Love is a great example. I think we said this kind of with, when we did Hugh Grant, we talked about the Englishman who went up a hill but came down a mountain, where also kind of a movie that's like, it's not a masterpiece, but when you watch it, you know, 20 years after it comes out, you kind of go like, oh, this is a nice movie. Yeah. Like, that yeah. just Especially exists. Especially for the people involved. That's what I love the most about yeah. this movie, is that, like, if you told me this same movie had you know uh 
Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan, right? And Bruno Kirby in the Kaitel role, right? Or whatever, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> yes. And you, and you basically, like, if you told me that was this movie, I'd be like, yeah, okay, all that tracks. But when you tell me that it's De Niro and Streep and Kaitel in what basically amounts to the same kind of movie as something like When Harry Met Sally, you're sort of, and maybe not as like, uppity or light as that movie is it's a little maybe a little bit more serious uh than that movie oh but, way more way more serious yeah. but in in, to- yeah. in its tone but you get what i'm saying it's just mm-hmm. it, it's way it becomes way more enticing and i frankly didn't even know about this movie so Murtada, when you mentioned it on twitter i like i was like oh yeah like a hundred like as soon as meryl won in the poll i was like yes a hundred percent we are talking about this movie <laughs> um and I haven't seen this movie since whatever impression. I don't even remember how old I was, but I must have been very young when I've seen it. I haven't seen it since then, but I am. I was so happy to revisit. I, it just. I remember that I loved it so much when I was a kid. Did it, I don't know did why. it hold up? Uh, not really, but I still <laughs> enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I still mean, enjoyed watching it, and yeah. I enjoyed just you know this is Meryl and De Niro at their peak physical beauty basically they're in their late 30s something like that yeah um, yeah in yeah, 1984 yeah. maybe 35 um, yeah meryl meryl would have been 35 and i think robert De Niro would have been a couple years older um i wanted to mention so another movie we didn't do but that came out right after this um also by fred chapisi who we mentioned earlier ended up directing meryl in a cry in the dark she makes a movie called plenty which I, I wanted yeah. to watch, even though we didn't talk about it. I, I've never seen it, um, but I wanted to watch it because she plays a French resistance fighter oh. during World War II, which I was like, what? Like, <laughs> come on. And um, and it's just you know, funny because- was a play. You know who uh, did plenty in the London West and early on in her career? Right Tell after me. Elizabeth was Kate Blanchett. Hey. Katie, and we're back. We Katie. <laughs> We got oh, it. Am, you, I, I, am I missing? Have they been in a movie together? No, right? No, oh, no they that feels like a missed opportunity. Now, here's my question: How was this is going to be a, a dig on this movie? How did Kate Blanchett and I not wind up in that movie Evening that Meryl Streep was in with like every actor <laughs> in the world? You remember that movie Evening, where it's like yeah. Claire what Danes? Year, and, what year was it? Uh, it was like oh five or something like that. That Evening is like a classic ensemble maybe this gets nominated and then and then in the minute it comes out people are like oh no 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 never mind like so um, can i ask you guys a question about this movie about uh, fall, falling, falling in love. love yes um what is it like falling in love no i'm kidding oh <laughs> no um <laughs> i okay so watching this in uh in concert with uh joe tynan right was sort of interesting right because you're you're basically watching like Two home, two home wrecking movies back to back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and um, it's this one was interesting. And this movie, I think, did a thing that I bring up a lot on this podcast with with movies where people are with other people and then fall in love with other people. But what I like about this movie is it felt like they were in marriages that felt real to me and like worked. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, even though the dude Meryl's married to because the movie wants him to seem this way, seems like kind of a piece of shit. He also probably isn't right. Like it's you're just seeing him through this lens yeah. of this, you know, seemingly you know 
loveless or you know heading towards a loveless yeah. marriage mm-hmm. right um yeah. that's a good point yes you, you know what i mean like right. he, he seems kind of shitty because the movie wants you to wants you to think that but like he's you know he's probably fine there's probably a well, reason she married him to begin with right like is kind yeah. of the thing and with De Niro, it's the same thing. I mean, De Niro, I think, comes off a little bit worse in this movie if, oh. we're, ta- if we're talking about it in the politics of like, you know, oh, d- yeah. having emotional affairs on your spouses um, because De Niro's got kids and his wife seems wonderful. Like, oh, no, no, I, like, dude, yeah. put some respect on her name. Jane Kazmaier. Right, right. Yes. From, the mom uh, from Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Wasn't she also in uh, The Sixth Sense for like two seconds? I don't know. But Isn't know she the ghost that slits her wrists in the kitchen? No. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Fact check. But this is. But to your point, Condor, this is what I'll say. This is. This is my father speaking through me. So my dad, as long as I've known him, which is my whole life, um, has always had a problem with movies like this. And his example, funny enough, speaking of Merrill, is always Bridges of Madison County mm. because. Mm-hmm. Great movie. I love the movie. Everybody loves the movie. My mom loves the movie. My dad's thing with the movie, and I, 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 I'm my father's son. I get what he means. If you bring up that movie to him, Bridges, he'll be like, look, that husband was going out every day, working his ass off, trying to make a living. You know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> excuse me, supporting the family. And what happens? You know, this, his wife is going off with some artsy fartsy photographer like how dare she right which i will <laughs> say like so dan yeah, no, i feel like you're about to drop that your real dad is some photographer uh, or something I, I, I know yes yes <laughs> clint eastwood is my my real dad no but but i will say i i when i watch movies like this i do understand what he means because it's like and the, i do think and in credit to falling in love credit to ulu grosbard and the actors i do think this movie understands this yeah. as well which yeah. so yeah it's I, the main thrust of the narrative is right. what do you do when you're in an okay marriage but you meet the yes. love of your life yeah yes cuz Kazmarek has this great moment and i think i really all joking aside i think she's very great and actually for yeah. the yeah. few yeah. scenes she's in where 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 robert de niro kind of tests the waters and is like Ah, Ed, who's Harvey Gattel, he's getting a divorce. Like, and Jane Kaczmarek's like, oh, big surprise. Like, you know, could have seen that coming. And and Robert De Niro's like, yeah, they, he just fell out of love. And Jane Kaczmarek says in this very beautifully I, yeah. delivered way, she's like, is any is is anybody in love yeah. anymore? I and that was the exact it. scene that I was like, oh my god, I think I love this movie. Like, it was so and, yeah. yeah. And she and she says it like a married woman who still loves her husband but understands what might happen and i think when you talk about this director who i've mentioned a bunch of times he made he made true confessions with de niro and um and uh robert duvall he made um straight time with dustin hoffman this he 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 directed the play the subject was roses and then he directed the movie he directed georgia with Jennifer Jason Lee and Mara Winningham, which if you haven't seen Georgia, I watched right after I, right after I watched Falling in Love, I watched Georgia. Now, Murtada, you've seen Georgia. I, I'll be straight up. I put this in my letterbox. I loved it. I had trouble watching it. It, it is one of those movies. It's hard. It's, it is so true to like every moment. I was like, this is 
Like Jennifer Jason Lee shouldn't have only gotten an Oscar for that performance. She should have gotten like a Nobel Peace Prize. Like someone should have been like given her this been like, hey, here's like five Oscars for like yeah. the next five years. Like the shit. Anyway, he's a great director of actors. Though. It's relentless. It's relentless. <laughs> and this is a way easier watch. I guess my point is simply like there is so there's such great performances in this movie, even if the movie's a bit, you know, straightforward. I think that's the thing. That you'll remember, right, from falling in love. And there's sure. another thing, too, that um, – and you kind of mentioned this before, Murtada. You, like, you, you specified that, like, they they never really consummate the affair, which is important, yeah. right? Yes. And it is a good – I mean, it's a good line that the movie draws, right? Because it feels – it feels like a line a logical human would draw in real life of like if you mm-hmm. were like if your spouse cheated on you and you were trying to ras- rationalize it right if they had sort of an emotional affair it feels yeah. like a thing a, a line that somebody would draw right where it's like ah okay and I, I think the movie walks that line pretty well but one of the criticisms of the movie um from um from like the studio heads when mm-hmm. it was getting made was that it felt quote sexless and i feel mm. like that's kind of the movie's best asset yeah it, is that you're is is that it is you know whatever it is sexless but it is like they're also both like innately sexy because they're just like you said they're they're in their prime so you're just like Oh, yeah, I get it. Like, I get why these two people would would come together, right? I mean, it is hard to sort of, because it is about an emotional affair to, yeah. what, you, to what you were saying. And I'll, I want to say something about, like, the Robert De Niro marriage also. It felt real to me because he doesn't hide it. Like, both yeah. of them don't hide the fact that they're having these emotional affairs with somebody they're not married to. And he tells his wife, and then they go away and try to work it out. So... Props yeah. to them and props yeah. to like the character yeah. um, uh, of that husband. So it's not like he just saw Marilyn Metro North and he's like, "Buy Jane Kaczmarek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. It, it's true. all I'll really, say, it's all, it all feels really well rendered. And, and yeah, I, and I and I think one thing about the De Niro performance, I will say, um, and and my my parents are still together and happily married, whatever. But but I will say this. Um, De Niro's mannerisms and Connor, you know, my dad, so maybe you'll agree with me, you know, the plot aside, whatever the way I think that was close to my heart watching this movie, being very frank, De Niro, he has things he does that like reminded me of my dad, things, things he, things he does and reactions, even with his kids and even just talking to Harvey Keitel and whatnot, where like, um, my dad in his line of work has always had to deal with a lot of men who are very like, you know, sh- like men in that very shitty, uh, uh, mis- not misogynist, well, misogynist, maybe, but like but the like machismo, masculine, and the, yeah. machismo. Sure. Yeah. And he, he's a more soft-spoken guy and he's always dealt with it in that measured way that you have to, in that space, a job similar to Rob De Niro's job in the movie. And I found myself between the Metro North and Dobbs Ferry yeah. and all. I was like, wow, this is, it, was, it ended up being very relatable for me. I thought, you know, all the whatever infidelity aside, I like the actual mannerisms I found to be very kind of, I don't know, relatable. I was, it was interesting. And look, I mean, I don't know. I think that's, that. that's kind of what I mean. That's the type of stuff that I'm sort of 
keying into when I talk about like the reason this movie is worth it is because of the talent involved, right? Like it would be totally dismissible if it was any other cast, even a well-known one, like the one that I mentioned. Right. But like, but that's the type of shit that you get when it's De Niro and Streep and, you know, like, and it's, yeah, I don't know. I was, I was basically fascinated by this movie, like while watching it, I could totally, to your point, Dan, I could totally see why somebody would be like, eh, it's kind of boring or whatever. And, but it, cause it is just very straightforward. Like it doesn't get, it gets like a little melodramatic by the end. Um, but yes, I mean we we do get that long Meryl Streep basically car chase. I don't know what she's chasing, I, I, but she's dude, in that was car. hysterical. Yeah, like, <laughs> seeing, and you get like the like a... you get like the super dramatic like just missed connection of him going to Houston. You know, her trying to catch him, and she has this yeah. sort of quick breakdown with her husband. You know, so that stuff's that's where it teeters over over into I think full melodrama. Yeah. But I, what I loved about this movie is that for the most part is that that sort of level-headed nature that it takes to the whole situation because you're just mm -hmm. kind of like yeah no i don't like this just feels like the way for the most part real people would react in a in a real situation um yeah and it's level-headedness but about volcanic yeah. emotions right because yeah, the whole right. thing is about how they can't not yeah. be together and it's, it's, it's right. all repression it's all these feelings right, yeah right. and it's all boiling and it and again i think it, it like i said to you Murtada, like it them looking as good as they do in this movie is a huge asset because you're just like ooh, i get it like you know and uh yeah i don't know this movie i i would say this is the best of the four for this sure this is my right. favorite of the yeah. four i think um Murtada, yeah well, give i us, agree yes give us so we all agree this is our favorite of the four Murtada, give us a final meryl word before we move on to before and after, which we will spend less time on, I can assure you. <laughs> um, about falling in love? Yeah, just one more. What, what's a final falling in love, Meryl? I uh, think, you know, Meryl, it's so funny. I'll tell you this. So when we first were given the, the rules about the pandemic and all of like, don't touch your face. And I was talking to a friend of mine <laughs> about, you know, not touching our faces. And he's like, I don't know if I cannot touch my face. I learned everything I know about how to live and how to behave from Meryl Streep. And she's always touching her face. <laughs> so it's so true. It's so true. Do you true. know what's funny? I, I, I did not function to that. And now no, I, I almost want to go back and like rewatch this movie. In these four movies, I was like, girl, get your face <laughs> fingers away from your mouth. Yeah, like, she loves touching her face. And like, even if, like, if you if you like look at what people share of her moments, there are always moments where he's she's touching her face, like <laughs> big little eyes. It's or so the true. Oscars it's so or true. Yeah. In this movie, but I think well, even more in Prime. Oh, oh my god! Oof. Well, but 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 Murtana, as you said, she acts with an A, and you're right. Yes. She, yeah. She look. Yeah, look. She went to Vassar College, where I'm from, dude. Those people love those people. A lot of friends who went to Vassar, they act with an A, my friend. They act with yeah. an A. So I get but it. She, um, but yeah. also just about sort of Meryl always being in our lives. Like she's always been there, you know, yeah, 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 hopefully yeah. she'll always be there. But it is true. We learn so much from these actors. And one of it's them so is true. obviously Meryl because she works all the time. She is always in things that everybody sees. So we are, I think, her impact on American people, you know, yeah, quote no. unquote, <laughs> is just huge because 
we learn from how she behaves. It's like, yes, this we is do. how I behave. I should behave when my heart is broken or I don't know, when I can't get to the phone for my lover from the Metro North. <laughs> right, right, right. And it's 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 interesting because like I think the the acts within anything, and I'm really glad you mentioned that when you did, because <clears throat> it I think obviously that is the biggest thing that somebody might level against her too if you're gonna if you're gonna weigh a criticism and it might be a fair criticism but it is interesting because like with her she does it so well and she also does you know she acts with a little a too so well that you like and again it's not because it's not all the time that like even when she goes big or she goes small mm-hmm. it, she finds a way out so it's kind of like like She's, I would say she's in in her very storied career, like she's basically at like 95%, you know what I mean? Or like, you know, maybe, maybe like 90%, right? Like there are certain things you can't escape. Like I, like I sort of mentioned before, I'm not a big fan of Into the Woods. That feels like one of those, let's give Meryl a nod type things. But again, you could just as easily slip that ax with an A into there and be like, yeah, she's just doing this. And you're like, yeah, okay. Like, I get it. Like, well, know. let's, let's use that as a transition yes. to our third movie and an, and, 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 and an, and an actor who is definitely acting with the capital A, her, her co-lead in this movie. Uh, the movie's before and after. It's directed by uh, Barbette Schroeder. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his first name because I think I've looked this up before. He also directed Murder by Numbers, which we talked about on our Ryan Gosling uh, podcast. He directed uh, Reversal of Fortune, which is a very good movie with Jeremy Irons uh, as well. So he's a talent director, Barfly with Mickey Rourke. He's made a lot of interesting movies. This one... Uh, not as interesting as his best movies. Uh, Connor, let's throw to you. Sure. You can tell us what this is about. And I will just, I'll set you up. It's produced by Hollywood Pictures, um, distributed by Benavista, which is Disney. This is during Disney kind of making adult movies in the 90s and releasing them under other banners, Mm -hmm. which they did back then. This came out in February of 96, which kind of speaks to maybe what their intentions were and ultimately what happened with the movie. It cost $35 million. It did not make nine. It made 8.7. So it was off, you know, not, not a huge hit, a uh, bit of a flop. Um, and it was based, as I mentioned before, on a novel, of the same name by Rosalind Brown from 1992. Take it away, Cotter. Tell us what before and after is about. So before it was, you know how sometimes there's, there's before, Right. But then there's also after. Yes, yes. But yes. then there's but then like there's before. What happens in the middle though? But what what's Well there's the and, and you know. <laughs> right. So in this case the and is uh Meryl Streep is a uh, a doctor who is a the mother to two kids. One of them is Edward Furlong. Uh, her husband is Liam Neeson who's an artist, I would venture to say a not great one because you see a little bit of his sculpture in the beginning of the movie and i kind of was like what is that uh but th- maybe that's just me um, <laughs> see i didn't even get that he's an artist i thought he was just i don't know a welder or something i i think he's like an industry <laughs> i'll circle back to that but basically uh yeah she's a doctor he's an artist one of them clearly makes the money Mer- in the family. never feel bad about not knowing he was an artist never because <laughs> the movie is not concerned about it's that okay. at all it's okay um but basically so they play uh carolyn and ben ryan 
their son, uh, Edward Furlong, Jacob Ryan, is essentially in, you know, involved to some extent. You find out along the course of the movie, he's involved to some extent in the uh, in the death of this young girl, the, this very violent death of this young girl. And he essentially goes AWOL. And Streep, because she's a doctor through like seemingly very loose medical practices, is able to see the body of this girl just being uh, examined. <laughs> um, well, it's a it's like meant to be a small Connecticut town. Yeah, like she like walk, basically like, walks by like the open door where this girl's getting examined. It's like, oh, hey, I know that girl. Right. Right. Uh, it's very convenient. But she basically finds out about it and. When the chief of police comes by to just ask them some questions about it, turns out Edward Furlong is not at home. He's gone missing. So obviously the suspicion goes up greatly. Uh, Liam Neeson, who has been having some trouble with Edward Furlong, they have a little bit of a tense relationship uh, as, you know, movie fathers and movie sons might have. Uh, And he basically investigates Edward Furlong's car, which is there without Edward Furlong being home. And he finds, you know, some implicating shit. He finds bloody gloves, bloody cloths, things like that. Right. So he decides in sort of a panic to dispose of the evidence. And now basically they're in it. Right. And it becomes yeah. sort of a, a situation where they have to deal with the before and after of their lives changing due to their son being the prime suspect in the murder of this girl. A lot of acting with an A in this movie. Well, yeah. And and Julia Weldon plays the daughter, Judith, and she has kind of like a Linda Manns from days of heaven. Oh yeah. Type type of narration where she's kind of like narrated as the kid where she's like, when I was a kid, I learned that there was a before and an after, right? Like she's like this voice of whatever. Your whole life can change in a second and you never even know when it's coming. Before, you think you know what kind of world this is and after, everything is different for you. Not bad, maybe. Not always, but different forever. I didn't used to know that. Until the day it happened to my family, I didn't even know there could be such a thing as after. I didn't know that for us, before it was already over. Uh, Let me correct myself. It's a Western Massachusetts town, not a Connecticut town. But Mm. hey, if you're from there, you know, it's a very thin line. I will say this. um, The whole time I watched this movie, and I wonder if you guys agree with me, I have not read the book. The whole time I watched this movie, all I could think about was, this was probably a great book, right? Like I, I kept being like, I, I, I uh, uh, have read "We Were the Mulvaneys," right, by Joyce Carol Oates, which is a similar book, right? A similar mm-hmm. subject matter. I really enjoyed that book. They never really were able to make that movie. Before and after feels like a version of that. Mm-hmm. And what I couldn't help thinking was, and this is a common thing in the '90s, like I mentioned before. I bet this book was great, you know, and I probably when they made it at the very least, like super entertaining, right? Like, you know, because it's that thing of, of, of point of view, right? Like when you write a book 
you are dictating the point of view. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when you make a movie, you can control the point of view, but ultimately you are at the mercy, of course, of your viewers and your actors, right? So it's like, if the it, I don't know the book, like I said, but if it's from the daughter's point of view or whatever the case may be, you have more control. And I think this movie is a great example of like, there was a, I think, who would argue against me? There is a certain loss of control here in terms <laughs> of like what this story is, yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, I, anyway. I'll, I'll I'll throw to you guys. I mean, if we talked about Joe Tynan and we said that that movie sort of did not have any moral dilemma at the center of it, this movie has the yeah. moral dilemma, yeah. which should make it interesting. Yeah. But it somehow is this airless thing that just doesn't work. Every scene doesn't work. Every performance yeah. doesn't it, work, especially yeah. Edward Forlong. And it's just like, like you can see why Liam Neeson and Meryl Streep wanted to do this movie because it is a big juicy part. But then... When you hear the story, you think it's a big juicy part. These parents who are like on opposing sides of whether to protect their son or not, and da, da, da. and then you see the thing, and you're like, "What? This? Yeah, it, this it, is nothing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it. Airless is totally the right way to describe well, it because it's it just yeah. It doesn't um, because there is no tension. Like, there's never any moment mm -hmm. where there's a question of what one character may or may not do well you know what i think it is let me just let me say this because we i i think on this pod, podcast we are very sympathetic to acting performances which i think if you work in the industry and you've made stuff right whatever i think that's kind of the right way to do it because and you know you you know a performance is a tool the same way a screenplay is a tool, right? Sure. Like, mm -hmm. like criticizing a performance obviously is a decision you can make as a critic and whatever. But I, I think you need to couch it with that thing of like, it, it's one thing, right? Like, like the screwdriver can be bent, but ultimately there are other things that cause the thing to not work, right? Like that all being said, I do think, and I've thought about this, the Liam Neeson performance, and I love Liam Neeson, <laughs> but the Liam Neeson performance, I think, is the Achilles heel of this movie. Edward Furlong, too, maybe. I think history kind of casts a shadow on the performance because like, he ended up just becoming this tortured soul yeah. and, and whatever. But Neeson is a, you know, is an accomplished actor. Two years before this, he's in, you know, three years before this, he's in Schindler's List, for God's sake, right? Like he, he's a very accomplished guy. This is just in every conceivable way, in my opinion, an A-list actor can miss. He misses. You know, like, you know who it should have been? Who? Sam Shepard. I mean, yeah, it should. Honestly, dude, I don't want to get too mean. It should have been anybody else. He, <laughs> he, he's so, and to he's the point so where he's so off to the point where it's like, look, and to your point, to both of your guys' point, this should be provocative stuff. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And even his decisions, like you mentioned, Connor, he's protecting his son and it's illegal stuff he's doing and he makes all these dumb decisions. But you can even the decisions, you can understand why a father would make well, those that, yeah, decisions. That's why the dilemma is but, interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. But his immediate unlikability yeah. is a real problem because <laughs> you're never rooting for him. You're like, well, OK, dude fuck you right like immediately right. like he's like yelling at the 
the like small yeah, town you're, sheriff. You're broke. Calm you know down. I mean? He's yeah. like he's like yelling at his wife. He's yelling at it. it's like, dude, 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 I know your son probably killed this girl, but like you're you are making it hard to root yeah. for anybody in this family. Mm-hmm. Right he's now, a huge you know? part it's of the like, problem. And then like yeah. and then like turns martyr about it kind of and Ugh. you're like shut the fuck up like it's it's so strange and it it's hard because i would say like this is a movie to me watching it I, and like credit to meryl i you know she basically escapes this movie right like i think she you know it's certainly not her best work but certainly not bad work like she's doing mm-hmm. she's yeah. acting with an a2 but it is you know she i mean she seems super subtle compared to Neeson by like miles. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. and, and so, and so, but, and so I think she's, I, she's doing good work. It, it almost weirdly, it, the movie's brought down to such a level that it does, it feels beneath her, right? Like mm-hmm. where you're like, what are you doing in this movie? And again, to your point, Dan, on the page, you can imagine like, Oh no, this feels great. Right. This feels like a super meaty role. And it's not like she doesn't have things to, to chew into. And it's not like she doesn't, take the opportunity to it is just that like i don't know it just no, nothing else here comes to life i feel like i was reminded i thought for a second this is what you were going to say dan they're, they're not the same exact movie but just in general vibe I, I was reminded of a history of violence while watching this movie and i feel like a movie like that you know obviously that movie is like much i mean even more so than this movie like much more high drama just because of the context of the movie and the you know the mob hitman thing of it all and whatever um and the just you know general cronenberg aesthetic but it's the kind of thing of like cronenberg directing a movie like that like he brings this sort of elevation to it that is sort of just bordering on campy and fun and and really sort of well leans into well, the high drama that i feel like i i do think the casting is an important thing even with Meryl with this, because if you watch Reversal of Fortune, mm-hmm. which is another very juicy real life true crime story, that those performances are capital A acting, irons and close, but it's it works. I mean, the yeah. camp, the camp to like entertainment level, yeah. include Ron Silver as well, who plays Alan Dershowitz mm-hmm. in that movie. It works, right? So, like, the filmmaker, same filmmaker, right? The filmmaker is connected to those actors and the level they're playing at, mm. it's just a higher level. And I do think it's... I agree, Meryl's better, I suppose, but, like, there was just a, a miscommunication or something, right? Like, yeah. Right, Murtada? Don't. What do you yeah, think? I think yeah. so. And I think I really do blame the director. I mean, he's the one yeah, who's yeah. supposed to see... Do these two performances belong together in the sure. same movie, in the same scene? You know, and this for some, like you were just mentioning about Reversal of Fortune, he did everything right there. He was he was able to build this mystery and and get us invested in these characters. And in and, and here, for some reason, I don't know, it just every decision seems wrong. From the yeah. voiceover narration to Meryl's limp brown hair yeah <laughs> to, yeah you know is that like that was that their way of like this is what a massachusetts homie <laughs> mom looks like like we have to just 
And, and so I, I have a theory about I or I thought I had a theory, but then I was proved wrong because I was like, Marilyn Brown hair doesn't work. It's always in her worst movies before and after in the Manchurian Candidate. But then I remembered Silkwood with, where she has brown hair uh, and is one right. of her best movies and best performances. Does she so have, that theory doesn't hold. Does she have brown <laughs> no. hair in and I don't know how you feel about this movie in particular, but does she have brown hair in Bridges of Madison County? Well, I yeah, think, she's, yeah, she's she playing it. She's playing Italian in that one. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's uh, yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, I think that like almost basically tracks. I think that's a fair, you know, there, there are more exceptions uh, or there are fewer exceptions than rules to that one. So I yeah. think, uh, I think that, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Yeah. I think, um, Dan, you mentioned something on Twitter that I think is worth mentioning oh, yes. about this movie yes, and yes. we should talk yes, about yes. it. Uh, Alfred Molina is a fucking life preserver to this movie, at least I think momentarily, because he just comes in and he's he I knows exactly what movie he's in, I think. And he's basically this uh, smarmy, smarmy lawyer who's sort of noted for basically like always winning his cases, always getting people off. And you sort of, you know, you get the idea that maybe some of those people probably didn't deserve to deserve it right well yeah he's um, like a sleazy right he's like yeah. a sleazy city lawyer yeah. they hire like a, to like a billboard or subway lawyer like like just this kind of uh but it, it just it's to the point that we're making i think we're all kind of making in different ways is this is that rare movie where you have an a-list cast right by and large but the casting kind of doesn't congeal and alfred molina comes in and is like Oh, no, no, this is the movie you all thought you were going to get. And then everybody, or at least myself, and to your point, Connor, you you're, you too, you watch and you go like, yeah, 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 this is fun. This is yeah. exciting. Like, he's he's setting the stakes for us. Because, like, he has scenes where, like, he acknowledges how crazy Ben Ryan, Liam Neeson, is acting, right? And he pulls him aside and is like, dude, you're making this harder. Like, yeah. You, yeah. you got rid of evidence. Like, if... If if this comes up, it's going to be harder for your son. And then Meryl makes a decision later in the movie, which is kind of maybe the right decision, but ultimately potentially you know detrimental to her son as well. And he pulls her aside and is like, "Yo, you got to work with me here." Like you know, like and 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 Molina is just so such a pro. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those rare things where he's just he gives the movie life right in the middle. Yeah, yeah. This is the one Meryl movie I would say, if you're a Meryl fan, don't watch. Skip the one. If you were going to yeah. skip no, one right. movie that she has made, this is the one. I'd agree. I'd <laughs> yeah, agree. Because yeah, even I would say this movie doesn't even like when this movie started, because I had never heard of this movie. And so when it started, I was like, ooh, like I'm in like this feels like my vibe, like a 90s thriller. Yeah. Frankly, even if it's kind of shitty, right? Like I was just in mm-hmm. it for like. I mean, frankly, the, the the capital A acting, right? Like that's sort of what I had in my mind of like, oh, this is going to get schlocky. This will be great. Like, let's do it. And it just, it's just a it, like her hair. It's just limp. It's just. <laughs> and, and, and look, and look, this, this, and I mentioned this before, this is a signifier of the times before and after. I'm going to give you a map of the world starring Sigourney Weaver and Julianne Moore. <laughs> I'm going to give you the deep end of the ocean directed by Ulu Grosbarg, his final movie who directed falling in love with Michelle Pfeiffer and tree Williams. This is late nineties 
what's the hot book? Let's adapt sure. it. It's about a kid who died, right? Like a simple plan is another one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Which is way more schlocky and way more fun than before and after. If Sam Raimi like, directed this movie, it'd be fucking great. Exactly. Like, so, I don't know. He directed The Gift. That was not good. Did you not like The Gift? Oh, we're, oh. We're, gift we're gift support. We're gift supporters on this podcast. So now you That's have funny. to go. The Gift The gift is a is a interesting. Did you you didn't like the did you not like Kate in the gift? No, I'm Kate curious. is great. Right. It. Kate's um, great. Yeah. I mean, of course. Um, but I just but, I didn't like Martana, I didn't know what wait, the story wait, was about. Like it is Here's trying... the real question. Was uh-huh. what do you think of Katie Holmes in the gift? Yeah, maybe that's why the gift is more. <laughs> <laughs> I do you no no, this is an earnest question. Do you like Keanu <laughs> in the gift? Because we talked about the gift on our Keanu episode. Uh, yes. I, I mean he's I think he's miscast. He's trying his best. Sure. But it's I, just that's, not, fair. Not, that's fair. That's that fair. He's I, not yeah. his part. But like the gift to me could have been interesting if it decided which movie it wanted to be. Is right. this a movie about a widow dealing with grief and the little town she's in? Or is it some, you know, um, mystical thriller about... Yeah, I- uh, you know things that go bump in the night or is it a courtroom drama like the movie changes its mind every 15 yeah. minutes about what it is or what it wants to be that that's fair i yeah i sort of would all fair criticism i feel like i skirt my way around that because i just i love the movie on a level of i mean not love maybe maybe love is strong i enjoy the movie on a level of like it's just like a deep fried adult Scooby-Doo episode, like is basically <laughs> what it is like. And uh, yeah, but it. But do you like Giovanni Ribisi in it? Oh you, want to, you want to talk about acting within <laughs> oh my gosh my yeah, but boy. acting that doesn't work yeah no 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 right 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 like that's <laughs> G- that, G- that G- is G- the G- downside right? playing boo radley yeah, literally yeah. from from uh, Oof, yeah uh, <laughs> kill a mockingbird it's a um, it's a toughie but um all right so what are what do we who but wants what if to Giovanni fall? Ribisi gave the performance he gave in the gift here in Edward Furlong's character? I think this movie would have had a little bit more that, life to it. Well, that's kind exactly. of I guess that's kind of my point is like if you get somebody like 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 a Raimi who just will just really lean into the silliness and the zaniness right, uh, kind right. of inherent in this movie, which is like Dan said, why Melina kind of works because he's the one who actually like calls it out and like addresses yeah. like, hey, this is all dumb, right? And you guys are being dumb. Um I, yeah, I, I, I think maybe this movie kind of gets at least, even if it's bad, gets to a place of, of fun bad, which it currently is not. It's just like dull bad. It's very dull indeed. Um, Connor, give us the last word on before and after before we finish with Prime. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there was my life before, right, before right. and after, <laughs> and my life after before and after. Right. And frankly, but is your life after changed forever? No, that's the whole point of this movie. It's dull as shit. Uh, so it's basically the same. Before is it's like before and before. Yeah, uh, uh, right. Before and before. Um. All right. So I'll set up a, our final movie. So this is a movie I had seen before uh, and after. Haha. <laughs> um. The movie is Prime, directed by Ben Younger, also written by Ben Younger. Um. It's uh, came out in 2005. I believe it came out in, yes, it came out in the fall of 2005. And I will say the worldwide gross on Prime starring Meryl Streep, Uma Thurman, and the inestimable Brian Greenberg 
<laughs> is $68 million what? worldwide. Really? What? This movie? Six, yes. How much did it cost? Uh, yes. On a budget of $22 million. What? So it's technically Prime, not even a B-side. It's a hit. But, well, no, no. So this is... Connor always does this. <laughs> a hit can be a B-side. No one yeah. remembers Prime. That's true. No. That's you know. But yes, anyway. Ben Younger, um, this is his... And this is, to me, the craziest part of this. And all, all respect to Ben Younger for it. This is Ben Younger's uh, follow-up to Boiler Room. His first movie was Boiler Room, starring... The Gifts, Giovanni Ribisi, um, and a very young Vin Diesel. So this movie is about a 37-year-old recently divorced woman named Rafi, played by Uma Thurman, who I believe was also recently divorced in her own life, right, with Ethan Hawke at the time. And um, she meets a young New Yorker named David, played by Brian Greenberg, who's uh, 23 years old, and they begin dating uh, Rafi has this therapist, an older Jewish woman played by Meryl Streep. Her name is Lisa Metzger Bloomberg. Uh, David's name is David Bloomberg. And the crux of the whole movie is that <laughs> Rafi's psychiatrist is David's mom. And what? Let the hilarity let ensue. The hilarity ensue. <laughs> it feels, I, I know we don't like to say this name a lot anymore, but it really does feel like uh, the movie that Woody Allen would make if he was like 32 in 05. Like, sure. he'd be like, what if there was a psychiatrist? You know, it's like that type of thing. Um, but okay. not with, you know, Woody Allen's when he was, you know, in his 30s or 40s, the script would have been tighter and the characters yes. would have been more interesting. Yeah, it would have, yes. been, it would have been a that's now well classic that's well of said. cinema, probably. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, probably. Yeah, that's yeah. well said. That's well said. Uh, so, so this movie. So okay. did Ben Younger have an affair when he was 22 or 21 with an older divorcee? I like, would have I to think, think so. The background right? of the character is his background, if I'm not wrong. It, it has to be. It feels like that kind of. It feels yeah. like so, that kind of vibe. So one fun, one fun thing um, that it's on the Wikipedia. Uh, the role of Rafi was originally going to be Sandra Bullock, but she dropped out uh, just before filming started because she wanted some script changes, and Ben Younger didn't want to agree to the script changes. So uh, Uma Thurman came in relatively late. Um, so this movie, I'll be honest, even on a rewatch, by and large. I like it fine. I think it's an interesting... This is one of these movies where it's like... So before and after, for example, right? Mm -hmm. The premise is interesting, but ultimately the movie itself is not that interesting, right? Like just from a mm -hmm. viewing capacity with all the actors and everything, it just doesn't really engage you. Prime for all of its faults on a rewatch, I was still generally engaged with what it's kind of exploring in terms of like you know just cultural you know traditions that you're fighting against and da 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 and all this stuff that being said there are also b plots which we alluded to earlier that have aged preposterously bad like like so so and we'll just jump into it the whole movie is about the relationship and the problems that that come with it uh, David Brian Greensburg's best friend in the movie is John Abrahams, uh, who plays Morris, whose whole bit in the movie is if a girl, 
if a girl turns him down or like breaks up with him right or like whatever, if he doesn't get a second date basically he goes yeah. to magnolia bakery and gets a cream pie and he goes to their apartment and pies them in the face and runs away and that's like a bit <laughs> yes. throughout the movie. It's like a throughout running, the movie. It's like yeah, a like, he does it guy. many times. Yeah, yeah. It like opens. It opened the movie, and I in my head I was like, oh yeah, this thing. Fuck right, that's tough. <laughs> and yeah, then I'm like, well, no it's reason done. for it. He could, yeah, totally could not exist, and the movie will totally not be not better that, or worse. But to your point, Murtada, that does feel that's such a weird specific. And I'm not saying it belongs in the movie or that it's good. Well, no, no, it's but a, it is it's such a, a weird. Si- specific thing that it feels like a thing that like ben younger had yes. a buddy who did who that did he that. was like yeah. i have to put that in a movie well right? yeah. and also it's a sitcom thing right yeah. that that any sitcom in the world you go watch any sitcom and, and you'll see this trope where it's like we'll put that guy next to the lead guy and the lead guy it just makes sense the lead guy will seem better right where it's like brian greenberg who i think is fine in this movie you know whatever he's you know just an actor a working actor he's fine his <laughs> it's it's similar it's similar to uh joe tynan where it's like the movie is like this guy's all right and you watch it you're like well he's not is great he? yeah no that's that's like the yeah. that's the hardest part about this movie is yeah. and to your point like on the page like it, it it's not uninteresting like that sounds like a, a decent setup for like a screwball comedy type yes. thing i do think the like the ethical dilemma of this movie from streep's part i think is kind of fascinating like it is well, yes, you know sure, like sure, I, I, sure. so it's it's not like it's not worth examining um i just think obviously like the movie bungles that part of it so it's a, it's a toughie but it, nobody in this movie including streep and i get that she's not supposed to be eminently likable throughout the whole thing but like no, none of the leads are like feel likable enough um that that it, uh, any of the uh any of the to sort of hit any kind of peak that overcomes any of the valleys basically right and because even uma like i i feel for uma in this movie and i I am with the logic of that character because what I couldn't help escaping while watching this movie is Brian Greenberg is a shitty dude, but it is Mm -hmm. an interesting alchemy of like a certain percentage of shitty dude. And then another percentage of like, Oh, he's 23, right? Like he's just also like, he has such an insane lack of emotional intelligence, you know, he may as well be 18, which like, doesn't excuse the shittiness of his character but it also is like i you know i'm I'm sure if i saw a video of myself at 23 i'd be like yeah fuck that guy right like i don't like well i was gonna yeah i was gonna say i was single in new york uh living in a shitty apartment i mean connor you were living on my couch so you know um (laughs) when i when i was 23 girls in the face obviously when they wouldn't yeah connor was pine girls um i and i was thinking about this watching the movie I certainly w- was, you know, not my best self, I suppose, but like in this movie, he is mooching off of yeah. this very successful, very talented, stunningly, be- like stunningly yeah. beautiful. This is Ooh, like Uma, yeah. Uma right after Kill Bill. This is like 
oh, come back Uma gets the movie right like the curly hair the whole thing and you're like like 37 oh my god it's like first of all fuck off 37 okay and then second of all it's like <laughs> she's this immensely talented like fashion adjacent producer person right which is like basically similar to like me and connor's job and like she gets home from presumably a really annoying day with like photo models and shitty agents and he's playing xbox on the in the thing and i'm like kill uh, Dan, this not man. to nitpick kill. but they do make a point it's nintendo oh sorry yeah. <laughs> so i have to kill say, this like, man uh, with this movie like i feel like this is a high concept movie about this what if a therapist finds out her son right, 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 is dating right. her client and yeah. so the movie is all about that and once that revelation happens it ceases to have a reason to exist it's yes. just like everything yes, just yes it happens and then we still have i don't know an hour of yeah. movie and nothing interesting happens after the revelation yeah just it fizzles out and whatever it is and maybe they should have listened to sandra bullock and wrote the second half of the yeah. movie <laughs> that's a great point actually yeah and it's funny even the title even the title is interesting because what, what prime, does the title refer to so so prime presumably refers to when uma uh is talking to meryl early on in the movie She's like, oh, I'm, I'm dating a 27-year-old, but actually it's 23, whatever. And and Meryl says, you're both in your sexual prime. Oh. Because, because that's, it. that's the and, okay. and maybe, maybe listener, you know this, but this is this is a true fact, right? Women, their biologically, their sexual prime is in their 30s, right? And men, their sexual prime obviously is, is a bit younger, right? In their 20s. So there's this dichotomy similar to the fact that women, right? We know that women develop intellectually younger than men, right? So it's that thing of like, it's kind of this anomaly of biology where it doesn't, it's unfair, I suppose, right? Where it's like men are at their sexual peak younger, but they get smarter, older, and then vice versa with women, right? Where it just feels like it's, you know, um, uh, ships in the night as it were so the movie is obviously exploring some version of that right which i get and i think that's interesting but of course the movie and we've said this to some degree the movie is not that interested in that right so i think it's funny because it's like uh when we know okay we mentioned woody allen whatever but to the point he all all controversy aside if he was tackling this subject or if Noah Baumbach was tackling the subject or if Sofia Coppola was tackling the subject or whatever, they would explore that title, that interesting element mm -hmm. of like what is. And I think you get like three scenes of that in this movie and those scenes are compelling. And the Meryl performance is, I think, interesting. I like Meryl being broad and being funny. Mm -hmm. I think that's I like that. Um She's great. I, I think she's great. She's the best thing I about think this she's film. great. She's yeah, giving a full body performance. She is funny. It's a very she physical is... comedy performance. She's like, yeah, a lot of face, a lot of face touching. You said that already. A lot of that. <laughs> and, and it's and great. I, I also, but I do appreciate that. Like, she doesn't go like full caricaturized Jewish mother with it. No, right. No, like it's no, it, no. it. It. She feels like a real human. That's I, yeah. like she's. I mean, for obvious reasons, she's the movie's biggest asset and she feels like a real human in that regard. And there, to your point, Dan, there are elements of the other two leads that that there's a thing that rings true. Like 
I mentioned this to my fiance. But she she watched like the tail end of it with me. So to your point, Murtada, the less interesting part of the movie. But um, <laughs> but we were watching it, and she was like, "This dude sucks." And I was like, "Yeah, he does suck." And there and again, like I said, there's no excuse really for him being shitty. But it is just like, but he's also 23, and I like. I never had Brian Greenberg's character's experience in my life, but I certainly was directly adjacent to it. Like I definitely mm. knew dudes when I was in my early twenties who had like flings with older women that came up with some of the same sort of, you know, obstacles that this movie presents. So mm. again, it's not like the movie isn't even tackling something that's so outlandish or, or, or couldn't happen or whatever. It's just that, to your point, Dan, it doesn't seem that interested in it. So I just kind of don't know what to make of it. Like, not to mention the muddled ethics of, like, Meryl continuing to engage or involve herself with Uma Thurman, which is insane. Meryl's therapist is the worst therapist in the world. Like, that's the part of this movie that I kind of was like, oh, like, okay, because immediately... The scene I think where Meryl realizes is a pretty good scene. It, yes. she, she she plays it really well. It's fun. It you know it's funny. Uma is basically like divulging all these details in one of their therapy sessions, and it clicks for Meryl, and her reaction is great. It's a it's a nice scene, and then the scene immediately following, which I was happy about because the first thing that popped into my mind was like, oh yeah, like this is a like you should immediately stop seeing this woman, mm-hmm. right? refer her to somebody else who's equally as good frankly be honest with her right and be like oh this is a thing Mm -hmm. this is why you're really great but like and i want you to continue to be helped but whatever so it immediately cuts to meryl talking to her therapist about that predicament and meryl rightly says like oh i can't see her anymore i like Mm -hmm. she shouldn't be my patient anymore it's like no yeah no she shouldn't at all like for all of the obvious reasons. And her therapist is like, no, you've chosen to help her. You have to help her. And it's like completely ignoring the the clear and dire conflict of interest that Meryl has in this situation of essentially right. being emotionally But not ignoring the fact that if she stops seeing her, there won't be a movie. So right, it's right. Just- it's so it's so <laughs> bizarre because it gets to that point. It, it's yeah, it's so I don't know. The movie's so fucking weird because it it gets to that point immediately which makes me as a viewer go oh okay yeah like you're being smart about this like meryl streep's character is not an idiot that is she thinks to do the first thing that you would probably think to do if you were in her position and then her her therapist is just immediately like no no no, don't do that we have to keep the movie going and you're just like okay there is something interesting like even even if this movie was about quote unquote a bad therapist who makes all the wrong decisions while treating their client this movie would have been interesting it yeah. if it would have been about sort of like once she decides she's going to treat her then it, it keeps escalating but the sure. fact is it doesn't really escalate they just talk about it and yeah. then they reveal it and then they talk about it more and then they drop it. So it doesn't really do anything with this high concept. Yeah. But it chooses to try and like pivot to something that's a little bit more, you know, it's an attempt at something that's more down to earth and maybe a little bit more realist. But it spent the first hour being a, you know, a, a screwball comedy uh, or a comedy yeah. of errors, as it were. And so it just sort of is. Yeah, I don't know. It's a very strange 
tonal disconnect, I think. And I think they yeah. should have also tried to find a more charismatic or even a funny leading man. Yeah. Because Oof. I don't know what Brian Greenberg added to this movie. But yeah. Nothing. The only time he was animated and where you could see that, oh, there's something here is when he was playing Nintendo. Like, yeah. otherwise, he has yeah. no chemistry with Meryl. He has no chemistry with Uma Thurman. What does she see in him? He looks okay, but like... Why this guy for this movie? Where yeah. were like the young leading funny guys in 2005? And maybe I get maybe they hadn't really because I, I was actually trying to think about that. Like I was like, oh, like who's the person like you need someone more charming. Who do you put in here? And obviously you need someone who's young, but like seems cool and likable and is also obviously like a snack. Right. Because you need you need Uma to be like, yeah. Right. So it, it like is it? Is it a Channing Tatum? Is it a like, but he might have been, he kind of wasn't there yet, I feel like. Yeah, Tatum would have been too young, probably. How old was Ryan Gosling in 2005? Maybe he could have done it. Yeah, but Gosling was like too cool for school at that point because I think 04 was the notebook, right? So he was probably even too, too big almost. Right, maybe. right. I think, I, look, this represents, I think Prime represents an interesting look example of the weird kind of patriarchy of Hollywood where it's like Greenberg is the third lead in the movie, right? You have Uma, you have Meryl, and then you have the third person. So it's that thing of like, and, and, and actresses deal with this all the time, obviously, but I do think I would guarantee you just to add more conjecture to this podcast that they went out to a bunch of actors that were not Brian Greenberg for the role, but the response was, well, no, I'm playing third fiddle to these these bigger you know right. performances and i think that's what you run into where you get these actors and look you know you know who could have done it sorry go ahead to cut you off no no no. go ahead but go it ahead, just because adjacent to brian greenberg we talked about him obviously on the other episode but like get chris evans get chris evans in here because he would have been like exactly the right age yeah i mean playing jewish though i don't know that's well like, sure right yeah i guess that's- i'll say this i'll say this just to you know, uh, there is an indie that Brian Greenberg is in uh, with Alexis Bledel that I like a lot, actually. It's called The Good Guy, and it's a modern retelling of the the novel The Good Soldier, uh, the Ford Maddox Ford novel, if you guys have ever read that. Um, weird movie, uh, you know, strange literary indie. Uh, I would recommend it. That's just a random movie came out i think a year or two after this one um didn't go anywhere you know it's available i bet on the streaming service right now but that's a better uh, use of his talents uh so definitely seek that out alexis bladell as well obviously um but yeah no i agree i think there's an element here of just the three leads being kind of i but and we might have said this already the scene with uma and meryl in the kitchen towards the end when everything's been revealed I did like. So there are moments where it's like you have the performers congealing in a impressive way. Yeah, so it's yeah. again, it's not the it's certainly not the worst of the four movies we watched. Uh, I think we covered that one already. But <laughs> yeah. and it's you know, it, if someone were to stumble upon it and Murtada, I'll let you have the final word on this. I would say it is worth it for the Merrill performance. I think she's good in it. I think it's it's funny. Definitely. To, I, I think I think she is in the right gear. Um, I also it was it was nice to see Uma actually because I feel like in my general pop culture brain she doesn't 
exist outside of like a Quentin Tarantino world. Like, I mean, she does like I've seen her in other movies, but it is like I just she's so ingrained into my consciousness yeah. as sort of a, a Tarantinoized uh, a caricature of a of a person um, that it, I don't know. It was nice to watch her play, a you know, a, like a normie. Right. Like um, so I, I think that's that's definitely, you know, worth it in this regard. Again, like I I caught this on on uh stars like through amazon so if you have access to it in an easy way you know put it on the background enjoy meryl i you know like i, I also think enjoy enjoy the movie poster for this it's hysterical it's so oh five <laughs> it's like the two of them together and meryl like biting her right biting her nails on the side it's ridiculous what, what did you what, what are your final thoughts on this Murtada? yeah i would say it's a great meryl performance it's not it's because when meryl does comedy she doesn't does it she doesn't do comedy a lot but when she does it she's very funny and yeah, right. this is one of the moments in at least in the first half of the film yeah. where she's trying where she's doing the dilemma of like should i continue this moment or should i continue treating this woman or not or when she to, to the point we talked about that scene where she discovers who who she is and who she's dating it's very funny um i would not want anybody to see the second half of this movie so i would say maybe look at <laughs> clips of meryl in sure. time because yeah, she's yeah. funny yeah that's a good recommend but uh any any other thoughts on on any of these movies as we kind of i guess wrap it up here what do we you know as we mentioned she's um she's in her 70s she's has she's had a long storied career uh Murtad, is there anything you'd like to see from meryl that maybe you haven't seen yet i mean the thing with meryl is that people are always asking meryl to work with this auteur or with that auteur and she doesn't do that and I don't really want that from Meryl per se. I want Meryl to do, I want her to do something like The Devil Wears Prada or a better prime. I want her to be funny mm -hmm. in a movie that's big and where she's the center of it and where she gets to play um, a little bit, uh, you know, some shades that she doesn't usually play. So yeah. The Devil Wears Prada was a complete change in her career and she was playing someone glamorous and Meryl is one of the biggest movie stars in the world, but she's never glamorous. So that was a change of pace for her. So I would like to see her do something like that. Yeah, I'll say to, to jump off that, this is going to seem obvious, but that's okay. Uh, I would love another Nancy Myers movie with Meryl. I, yeah. You know, I, that's it's what I was going to say. Give me, like, you yeah, know, give me another one of those. You know, I know it's complicated. It has its whatever problems, but that's a, that's a comfort movie. I think... Look, speaking of the right now, recording this during this time, I feel like It's Complicated is a great movie to watch, you know, or any Nancy Myers movie is a perfect, like, let me forget about my life for two hours type of a movie. Let me look at nice kitchens, blah, blah, blah. Um, I would love to see her go capital A-C-T-R-E-S-S -S in a Nancy Myers movie. <laughs> um, so that's my that's my hope and my wish. And to, uh, to jump off of that, Dan, uh, watching Falling in Love, the only thing I could think of is give me another movie with her and Bobby D. Right. The intern, I don't like, right, and I Bobby. don't even, yeah, like, and it, and it could be the intern. It could be something like right. that that's like nice and lovely, but I would also yeah. watch like, I would also, you know, watch a uh, Wizard of Lies type thing, you know, with yeah, the, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. a powerhouse tit for tat. I mean, thing Bobby or D in the intern, one of his best performances in 
15 yeah. years in the give us a amazing. sequel to falling in love why not let's visit yeah. those yeah. characters yes let's do it can i get a can <laughs> i get a straight up before trilogy but yeah, call, with, it, call it just call it fell in love but with and just, molly and they're, frank they're together you know, yeah. just, they're together uh, and they're falling they're, in love again there we have falling it. Oh, falling love out it. of love maybe we, we call Ooh. it knights in rodanthe guys there call it is it knights in rodanthe. <laughs> <laughs> i love it all right well we cracked it we're, we're going to send our script to Hollywood. They'll make yes. it. Uh, Ryan Murphy will be there, I'm sure, with oh. Dermot, or, uh, Dylan McDermott, and we'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> Connor, I'll throw to you. Oh, no. You, you tell us. Ask us where you can find us. Yes, yes. So, uh, Murtada, thanks so much for, for joining us. It was really a true delight. Uh, seriously, you seriously. On. I'm sure we'll have you back. Um, yes, please. Where can we find you? What do you, what do you have? Do you have anything to plug? Do you have anything going on on the uh, the kate side of things yeah so thank you so much guys for having me i love your podcast and i appreciate coming on and talking about meryl because i don't get a chance to talk about other actors on my podcast but you can find me uh, on twitter at me underscore says my podcast is sundays with kate like you said about the films of kate blanchett we're at sundayswithkate.com sundays with kate on twitter instagram and right now we are recapping and reviewing her tv show mrs right. america so we did four episodes on that the and now the show has ended so if you've watched mrs america you can go listen to our reviews and we um also did hannah recently but we have over 25 kate blanchett movies so i love it i love it yeah i high recommend from us obviously we're like kind of we're so excited big, big to fans be able of that to, podcast uh, here to ch to uh, chat with you about Meryl and um, yeah we we got to get you back for 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 another Kate adjacent uh, actor actress in the near future you can find me at DJ Mecca on Twitter you can find me on the film stage as always and that's about it I got you know stuff coming up reviews coming up as 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 always. And uh, I'll throw back to Connor for the final word. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Scruffy Looking. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Facebook at TFS B-Side. Um, you can, uh, you know, you'll, like I said, we just did, completed a, a series of polls where we kind of let you, the listener, and you out there on the internet decide what's coming up next. So we have some cool ones coming up. Robert Pattinson will be an episode uh, Tashira Mufuni will be an episode, so that'll be a, fu yeah, a fun yeah. one. Uh, looking forward to that. So got some cool stuff coming up. So thank you for making your voices heard. Um, and, you know, until we get to that stuff, we will just merrily roll along. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs>